Highlander, imagine, for lover's sake, Wendy Lou Jones. He's coming for me, Duncan. Duncan threw his arms around Teresa, the woman he loved more than his own life. As by his own act, his false will alone, he could sometime, somehow halt the impending nightmare which is folding around them. When an apparent drug-related shooting nearly takes Tressa Noel's mortal life, Duncan richly searched for the shooter to bring him to justice. The mortal Amanda is on the prowl again. Her female instincts led them her back to the irresistible Duncan. Complicating matters. Trees is unexpectedly confronted with secret information she could not have foreseen coming, threatening to unravel the bond between her, her ugly, handsome, immortal Highlander. But it isn't Amanda's wanton desires Teresa has to worry about. With hostile immortals close in, Duncan, Cantina in hand, perhaps to take heads in a fight to return their knowledge to normal. But can he detect the real threat in all the confusion around him before it's too late? Highland Imagined is a series based on the original Highlander TV series, a book reboots of series. Just five seconds before the bullet hits Treetor in the TV episode called The Darkness and asks the question, who, who would, how would everyone's life change if Treetor had survived? This work of series was fully authorised by Davis Panzer Productions and Studio Canal Films Limited. However, the content is wholly on an old K Books original creation and new action series. Hug everyone you know. A year of community, courage, and cancer. By Annette Trogolo Martin. Annette Martin believed herself to be a healthy and sturdy woman. That is, until. She received a stage one breast cancer diagnosis. Cancer scary enough for the brave. But she was but for a wimp by Martin. It was downright terrifying. Martin had swallowed waves of nausea at the thought of her body being poisoned and frequently fainted during blood draws and infusions. To add to her terror, cancer suddenly seemed to be all round her. In the months following her diagnosis, her colleagues succumbed to cancer and five of her friends were also diagnosed. Though tempted, Martin knew she could not hide in her bed for ten months. She had a devoted husband, daughters, a tribe of friends, relations, along with work responsibilities, her graduations, anniversaries, and a roller derby belts to attend. Not to mention a house to sell and a summer beach bummering to enjoy. In order of her honest support, without scaring herself or anyone else, she journaled her experiences and began to re- email people who loved her and people she called my everyone. She kept them informed and reminded all to hug everyone they know at a virtual opportunity. Reading responses became her calming strategy. Ultimately, with the help of the community, Martin found the courage within herself to face cancer with, with prevalence and humour. Introduction most of us live within a complicated web of relationships. We admire some people for whom we have the relationships for their fortitude. 
we like we like others for their humour and interests. We love those who we were born to, those we birthed, those who stir the passions of our hearts and mind. Relationships webs can be massive collection of beings, all with unique needs to recognise the gifts to share. We are not alone. We have a we have our everyone. When a crisis hits, when life throws a detour, our circles tighten, ready to worry and wanting to no help. Everyone feels the, the pluck on the thread, the change in the force. Nothing is about one. Everything is connected. A brand's cancer diagnosis was my detour. I'm not. It was not planned. It was not expected. It was overwhelmingly, only screamish, wimpy, cry baby. Just thinking about the series of protocols and treatments I faced made me dizzy with nausea. When the crisis hit, my everyone hit, felt the shake in the web. The trick I learned was to keep the anxiety at bay, so that my everyone, especially those close to my heart, my daughters, my husband, my parents, would not be frightened. I will not allow the cancer to be all about me. For me... The written word was always held a power of expression that I cannot quite articulate. Throughout my remembered life, I have filled volumes of com- composited notebooks, locked diaries and journals about my deepest thoughts. My ramblings have been paced my doubts and placed my anxieties in calm waters, allowing me to see through each crisis and trust in them. A glass half filled with marmer and awaiting the end of days. When my biggest life crisis took the form of cancer, I picked up my ugly spiral notebook and let and let the writing word do the ranting, the screaming, the questioning, and the recording. With the help of the journalist, I could calm down and face the day. I was able to reach out to everyone without panicking anyone, everyone, anyone, especially myself. Hardly, however, I credit the magic emails with saving my sanity. Because of emailing, I did not have to explain over and over again the latest episode of my cancer treatment. Instead, I was able to send a single note to my for everyone. This saved me from hearing and saying the words out loud. There was a couple of phone calls and real conversations with my husband, Matt, my mum, my sisters, my close friends as well. But the emails made an initial reporting. Easy and it's elated the support I sought for my wider network. In writing this memoir, I culled through realms of those emails. My aim was to capture the different voices, loving intentions I received from my everyone. The collection proved that I was never alone. I could count on my prayers, prophecy energies, virtual hugs, and real embraces to keep me focused. Hugs, the electoral panicky anxiety. I learned to be courageous, thanks to my every, my everyone. I love they they wrapped around me. Sincerely yours, Lucifer. Short story by Anton. In Erie. My name is Lucifer. I am an angel, a fallen angel to be precise. 
I am the same fallen angel who was glorified, condemned by the countless generations of your ancestors. They worshipped me, they spoke my name, and cursing their enemies, tales about me, and my fall were passed through Mamelia, turning more and more into fiction or lies. You saw to the extent that turning true the extent that nothing true has remained in what you know of me now. I feel I have to tell you the truth, so that you can decide for yourself whether I am worthy or respect or contempt. I'll respect neither your love nor your gratitude, though. I deserve each in full measure, but it's important to me that you know the truth. Everyone acknowledges light. While I am Lucifer, my name means bright light bringer. Since that very moment of my fall, I lived among you, bringing you light. No, I didn't live downstairs. It's commonly thought in your religious subculture. But among you, I am lived next door. But I'm getting ahead of myself. I should have begun by telling you that my fall was voluntary. I was not banished from heaven, but I rejected my angelic nature myself, lost God's grace in order to live with you, my only mortal, like an only immortal, or rather like an only immortal. Barbatius 8 by A. Drew Prologue There was a time in the deep past that gods and goddesses ruled the earth under the watchful eyes of the supreme being whose servants the fates were comprised of three influential sisters who were goddesses determine the destiny of all beings in keeping the supreme being all encompassing plan for the earth. Back in these days, life was simple but certainly harsher. In a region that was remote from the most civilizations, there was an autocratic kingdom in Antolia. It was enormous in expanse, but yet was not enough for the ruler. He wanted to own the land and stretch its horizon if possible beyond it. More he owned, the more a feeling of deity-like status grew in him. He imagined people would not only bow to him, but he would also pray for him, giving rise to the belief of his status among the gods. He thought he would welcome the gods, the goddesses, missed, and dying with them, immensing, immersing himself amongst the powerful entities. What he didn't know was the great Sibi, the goddess of, mother goddess of Antolio, Alia, the healer, protector of these who suffered during the war, challenged times along with her constant companion called Lion, monitored his behaviour closely. She didn't prove how the ruler had become so brutal, daring to try and raise his status to dainty level. As surprising, she was not the only one who was offended. The supreme being was outraged at the way the man tortured and killed the innocents and hindered his progress. The only king in the region he didn't have yet evaded was the one that neighbourhood in his own, primarily because they kept a low profile and showed no interest in having any involvement in his own role. Along the way, the dissentant ruler thought others might think he was weak, too afraid of a ruler of the neighbouring kingdom, so he set the proving them wrong. At least that was what he thought he should do. His peril faults as a conquest. He raided the city, burning down the entire palace, with no mercy being bestowed upon its occupants. 
dismal day, so early, slightly wept as he observed the atrocities being conducted in the once peaceful kingdom, lying roared with a mix of grief and, and extreme terror, anger, that he also watched with Sibu, the terror brought upon the friendly inhabitants of the Tokerity. She rose from the ground in a gentle mist and hovered among the dead, her chin quivering, and her tears rolling rolling down her cheeks. The thunder of rain that could be heard for miles round showed it broke the supreme being's heart too. It was not our way to interfere, for the man was in charge of his own destiny until the very last day, but not this time. A face known as Cleto, Lacarius, and Avrorus whispered in Stobley's ears as requested by the supreme being. Enough was enough. Sibylle watched innocent souls departing from earth and helped them to find peace in their journey whilst rescuing the few surviving injured people. When she satisfied all the proper actions had been taken on behalf of the injured and dead, she returned to the city and raised her wooden staff. Slowly at first she stopped it on the ground at once. A sound made, made was nothing less than a premature rumble evaporated through the king region. All the birds flew away in a rush. A sudden hush descended upon the creatures of the ground. In fear growing in their hearts, they quickly scampered away. A last rumble gradually subsided, and followed by a total silence. After which Shabili stomped her staff on the ground for the second time. The rocks deep in the earth even started to rumble, followed by an immense earthquake. It was so great the walls of the city immediately began to crumble. The deep resonance of the quake swamped the screams of those who had brutally murdered the innocents. When she hit her staff for the third and final time, a deep gurgling, a rumbling sound grew even larger, louder, and ground violently tore apart, setting off a volcanic eruption right underneath the mighty kingdom. The ruler's army panicked and tried to leave the city below, above his city, but it was too little, not to know, it was too no avail. The ruler was rueful. He had been tempted to conquer his smaller neighbour, but it was too late for regrets. So the smoothed her anger through the volcano had been quietly bubbling so deep beneath a land that no one knew it had existed. She vaporised and burnt everything in the city, along with the ruler of his army, while she rest raised the realm which was to be higher than the rest of its surrounds. For days the kingdom had been glowing and hot lava showing, ensuring that all who lived near the city would be unable to come any closer. Volcano formed a series of broad ridges and pinnacles here where the inhabitants had once been. Once everything had eventually cooled down, it looked remarkably different. It was a land that was now higher it ever been before, with a cold lava now forming some massive, tough rocks. The rock-filled area was dark, imitating yet beautiful. The pillars and large formations that were shaped by the elements are under control, similarly. The survivors walked relentlessly to establish themselves. This time, with its tribe, they scraped and chiseled the foundations turning them into ground, dwelling houses, and they slowly became a very tight and selective unit, community. For centuries they retreated underground to protect themselves whenever they heard unfamiliar houseman shouts and tremendous thunderous hoofbeats on, on their beasts, of their beasts. 
on their be- of their beasts, telling them would make sure they would never again come to any harm. That's, that was not all. She bestowed a hair upon them to transform for weeks for the ability to soar through the sky everywhere under any threat. It took many centuries for the slowly started surfacing, building a new life above the ground, while some still chose to live underground. Baracus was one of those who chose to emerge from the underground. He created for himself a humble but homely two-bedroom house in a small cave. The Devil's Charity by Robert D. Turwell Chapter 1 Don't get me wrong, I'm not after sympathy, I'm not making excuses. I made my choices the same as everyone else. We all have free will, I guess that's the point. I put a gloss on the way I used to be, I like to. You soon get through it. You're not daft, but I've changed. Finally, through getting you to believe me, is a tough call. At the end, my end, I don't know, not yet. One thing, though, this is my first and final account, my testament. If it gets through, you understand. You're beyond God. They won't suck you in. As to the beginning, two words, catastrophic panic, a whole gaggle of emotions, infinitely worse than being falsely drowned in a swamp infested with raffinous vermin. You think I have remembered that what that what had caused it? You think I have categorized it right at the top of the never be forgotten pole? Fact is, I haven't a clue. Neither did I know how, why, when, or where it had happened, or how long, whatever it was, had lasted. After, after all, about all I could recall was my given name, Ronald. I wasn't so sure about my surname. I think it was Foster. Sounded vaguely right. I figured I was in my forties. Maybe give it or take a decade or so plus direction. It doesn't seem to matter. I have written off the whole thing as a nightmare. It would been if it hadn't been for the pains. My brain felt like a hot kebab sewers being poked about a hunt for tasty morsels, and the clamping of my eyes shut didn't help. It only sparked off the other bits that hurt, like my chest and legs and arms. No idea what was up with them, but I cheerfully had swapped places with an outconditioned marathon runner, stuck at the crest of his pain barrier. Bottom line, something devastating that happened. Something inordinately brutal and terrifying. Even so, I had to manage the fallout and wait for my brain to wiggle into first gear so I could, so I convinced myself I didn't question how it, I could be so calm, so accepting. I realised I was in the great oak panelled room. I wasn't alone. The vibes told me this wasn't where it happened. A panic. Though I couldn't, I couldn't, though I can tell you what, I couldn't tell you why. There were about 30 men there, there women, people there. Men and women, women, all sorts of ages, all like me in the armchairs, spaced around the biggest conference table I've ever seen. Still the biggest I could remember. This isn't saying much. So it was highly polished, a really amazing thing that nagged me. In the spot that was a top spot is empty. I reckon it would have been in it, which was odd considering I could have sat there like a chump and stuck my thumb 
How can I have said to a single person, let there, let alone hold them? And there was odd. There was, there was an odd as well. The room excluded an uneasy matrix of electric, eccentric grandeur. The impact emphasized by the excessiveness of the ornate doorways. Though nothing was familiar, I picked up a connection. It was unnerving as well as odd. When a door cracked open, the head of the room, a concealed door, it startled me. Not for long. Impulse made me, instinct made me stand tall and straight. Impulse made me check my suit to my relief. It felt right, as did my fine felt soul. Whether by sixth sense or something else, I knew the proper, proper clothes, good quality stuff, made a man and woman know too, for what that matter, though I didn't know who was coming in. Didn't, they weren't about to catch me looking less than my physical and sorry as best. That was certain. There was a pause if someone was seizing. In the lull, I whispered, not, not notice the door, to the, guy, to the guy beside me. Truth is, I thought he had forgotten it. I didn't answer. He didn't answer. He was too busy starting staring at the ageless woman that swept in while I was talking. He was blatantly ogling. Everyone was, and I did too, even my hollowed-out memory. I certain I'd never seen such a black-haired mass of sculptured in a glorious mane. Couldn't help it. None too discreetly. I said, wow. One look and turned into me a sobby proof present boy. If she heard, she gave me no sign. Neither did she flinch on the barrage of other eyes upon her. Made me cringe. Every pair looked serious behind a thin mask of priority. Men, women and men alike. Having settled her gaze back at each of us in turn, saving the best till last, a moment she looked at me, my pains faded. Finally, I couldn't breathe any, easy. No voice came this time, but I mouthed the word wow as I fixated on it and her, and her, which I was as I watched. She filled her lungs, swelling her furry red dress. My eyes were still engrossed when she spoke. My name is Charity. That's not my original name. I chose. It's because I'm committed. I feel that those we serve are relish on my mission. Our mission to provide a new support. Couldn't believe it when some people sniggered, made me scowl, offended for her. All for manners, yet the intrusion reminded me I wasn't alone. It also nudged me and fought my, I fought my way. I had to know some of the people in the room. I spent a measured glance around, hoping finding a face I recognised. Others were going the same. Some looked disturbingly scared. Made me wonder if we all had memory problems. A few of you know me. Charity went on, her breaching, but most of you are friends in waiting who don't be here yet. I listened intently, her voice exactly as I imagined, identify, undentifiably exciting, enticing as she was undoubtedly, dentally beautiful, emitting me. I had nothing but air castles to back it up. I was reckoned I was the one of the few who knew her. She seemed tantalizingly familiar, like my fancy woman come to life, except I didn't realize, remember having a fancy woman or any special woman come to that. Annoyingly, my throat sprang a tickle. Normally, I had coughed about multiple instincts, cautioning me to bottle it. Then they piled in with all sorts of other converted prods. I knew her. That egged me. Egged. I must, I must, might have forgotten her unforgettable tresses, 
by and more right most to be there. Why shouldn't I cough and damn the consequences? I caught myself being stupid and couldn't afford stupidity. What mattered was getting grip. I had to remember something else to be I would be worse off than a lambs spoofed up for the slaughter. Charity spoke again, her voice like a knife murdering my mental ramble. Other charities provide the death of blind provide for the death of blind in general. We are concerned exclusively with the protection with a poten- potentially blind and, t- part- and partially deaf. She spread her eloquent fingers on the table and nails for a moment. Our aim is to make a difference. We will never forget those who depend on us. Always guard against those who would uh, us, have us fail. To my disgust, the early sniggers became more often ch- open chuckling. It came from three people in their fifties and then impeccable entire male and female over a ramp who looked like around 20. I expected Charity to say something in a place where to wipe the floor with them. It seemed to me she, I, to me I would. Yet a perfect poise made them diminish. She didn't do much to shame them the glare. She merely waited for them to quieten. And we are a team. And we have a good team. Each of us has a role to play. You look she looked directly at me, but I said, Frank, thinking she crossed her eyes, I said, Name's Ronald Foster. She came out at once. Then I'm not talking to you, am I? Took me with size, I could tell you. Made me blink. I want a snow shrieking bonnet. I told her from the hip, You look at me, I thought. You didn't think, she chucked me. You assumed, you presumed, I find it offensive. As she spoke, the pains of my head switched on again, swiftly followed by renewed aches. All around my body, I winced. I really wanted to cry out. I think I said sorry. Stress, that's your problem, she diagnosed. As if she had a cure for sure-fired honest qualifications. You poke your nose where it's not invented. And you invited, and you get worked up about things that don't concern you. This is it. Whoever she was, she was no fancy woman of mine. Pain stroked my embarrassment by up to anger. She was a class A bitch. Needed to get shit, get me straight. I pointed these people are laughing at you a minute ago, as, but they didn't. You didn't. But they didn't off, didn't offend you. All I did was presume. She at cutting icily. These people are so ugly. Call it common of my friends. It means insolent. And insolence is not an all they're about. I expect from a team player of yours a caliber that's found me to burn off balance. Made me think that she might be dressing out some kind of black handed compound. After this, after it, but it was, if she was, it was a way of target. Of hindering me to the public, a stop felt like poisonous nettles rubbed into my open wound. You call this a team, I threw back. Is a bunch of idiots, but who bust too reckless to wipe their own noses. The rest of the crackling hyenas but we couldn't believe it when she smiled, just a faint closing of the lip. What a def- but a definite smile. She spoke to the, this other guy. A task of embarked for Ronald. Will be yours, Frank. I rather, I rather thinking he looked like a loser, a sheepish whatever do to do boo goose loser. That was it. A wrenching spasm burst across my entire abdomen. Felt like my intestines had been drawn out and twisted 
into the very knots. Couldn't bear it. Pain ditched me off. My chair had me writhing about hands calling the carpet so I convulsed. As a convulse, the agony ended abruptly as it began. I was mighty glad. Least I still, as I realised, I'm back in my uh, my chair. Everyone else, it's nothing, as if nothing had happened. I'm still struggling with a fresh bout of disorientation. Sick. 